Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you ever need to bet on sport. Did you know you can create personalized bets with Bet365? Their bet builder lets you calculate the odds for any game right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Speak of the devil and Carl Anker will appear. Hello everyone, welcome back to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. I hope you're doing well. For some reason, Manchester United play Wolves again. In other related news, it's Groundhog Day. Hmm. I'm pleased to say I'm joined today by Laurie Whitwell, as usual. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Carl. You okay? Yeah, I'm doing very well. As I understand it, you've just been speaking to Nicky Butt. Yes, I have uh, had sort of 15 minutes with him at Carrington. Uh, he was in great form. Uh, really opinionated, uh, really insightful. Um, he's, he's a very interesting character. So yeah, it was a good chat. For those listeners too young to remember Nicky Butt playing football, I know you're out there. It's okay. <laughs> um, Nicky Butt was sort of the enforcer of the class of 92, was he not, Laurie? Yeah, he um, he was obviously one of the, the, the six that came through the class of 92, uh, part of United's culture, really. Um, the, the fabric of the place for a long, long time. Um, clearly knows what it takes to be a Manchester United player. And now he's in charge of first team development. It's a sort of new role that he's got. Um, it's basically about getting younger players from the academy into the first team, into Gunnar Solskjaer's first team. So he's got a close relationship there. So um, And obviously his experiences that he's had, a long career in the game, playing for Manchester United England, winning everything there is to win, really. Um, he knows what it takes so uh, I think it's a really astute appointment that they've got there um, and he certainly knows his football he was once referred to by Pele as the best player at the 2002 World Cup so uh, enjoy that tidbit (laughs) also with us we have the United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic Mr Andy Mitten good morning Andy good morning you okay yeah I'm doing well how are you Oh, good. I'm looking forward to two weeks off, to be honest. I went to seven football matches in five days last week. I'm absolutely exhausted and uh, <laughs> looking forward to having uh, a bit of time off. I don't plan to go to um, Dubai or Las Vegas or Los Angeles, but just not going to football matches for a week will do. Let's start off by hearing a little bit from that Nicky Butt interview Laurie's just done and a little bit chat about how the role of the midfielder has changed. It's from Nicky Butt's time to the present day. Might be, in my view, might might get laughed at. Um, I do think football's changed. I do think coaching's changed. I do think a lot of things have changed. But I still believe that the best players would still be played. So Roy Keane, for instance, Paul Scholes, they're playing back in them day. They're playing now. They play at any time. I don't think he's changed that much. I just think coaching development's changed. I think tactics have changed. Um, for instance, midfield, now you're proving, proving very rare you go and play against a, a two midfield mm. now. So always a three, or it's even a four in the box sometimes. So you just got to be able to adapt, and that's a big part of learning as well. You, you, could, you could start off at this club where you play sometimes a two, sometimes a three, and you might go to another team that play in a box or your diamond or whatever you want to call it a two. So you have to. Be, I do believe best good players can adapt to to, to, to play anywhere, and, and whether you play in a two, three, or a four in midfield, you have to be able to adapt at any any given time within a game or within a season or within years when you move into a different club so yeah it has, it has changed massively the game but I still believe players that I play at this club at a high level would play at any year some really insightful stuff from Mr Butt there Laurie you think that Butt would get into the current Manchester United side 
Yeah, I don't think he'd have any problem, to be honest. I mean, he might still have a chance right now. Um, he obviously retired a long time ago, but he's. I think his knowledge of the game and, and the way that he played, um, you know, he, he had a lot of character about him. And I know that that kind of gets banded around quite a lot um, in this in this day and age, this sort of era. Um, but I don't think it can be underestimated, really. The, the fact that, um, I mean, he spoke to me about when he watches uh, a young player um, in a game, and obviously there's, there's Manchester United versus Leeds United uh, FA Youth Cup uh, on Wednesday night. Um, so tonight, when this podcast comes out, um, he spoke about watching what they do from the stands and then how he doesn't want to see players when they go 1-0 down, he just want to see their shoulders slump. And that might sound like a sim- simple thing, but I think the mental side of the game is, is really important. And he clearly had, um, you know, strength in abundance. Um, you know, he came through in an era where he've had Paul Lintz and, and, and Brian Robson and, and various other midfielders that he could learn off and, and sort of realise uh, what they what they sort of did in the game to get to where they were at. And I, I think it's really important that he's, he's at the club now and he can pass that on you know, to the next generation. Um, he's a really fascinating guy. Um, he spoke about how um, you know, clearly tactics have changed in, in this period. Um, you know, it's very rare that I suppose you get a, a midfield two now as, as he you know, used to play in, you know, in that 4-4-2 system. So um, he basically said that you know, Roy Keane, um, Paul Scholes, that ilk could play in whatever system you wanted to put them out on the pitch. You know, they, they've got the skills and the, the drive to do it. So, um, yeah, uh, I think he'd certainly uh, sort of give give a good run for for his money in, in the current side. Looking forward to seeing the rest of that interview piece. I believe, listeners, if by the time you're listening to this, that piece will be on the Athletic. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, yeah, please do log on. Um, it'll be um, a, a quite comprehensive piece. He spoke speaks about the, the loan system, um, so it has some quite strong opinions on what he thinks should be the case if a manager gets sacked and you've got a young player out on loan. He obviously will parry the, the loans manager to try and find um, the best loan for, for the younger players that they've got there um, so yeah I think it's definitely worth your while uh, having a look and read him Cool and obviously he's got this brand new role in terms of first team management Andy tell me you've watched more Nicky Butt than everyone here what what can you tell me about the man and, and what he brings to Manchester United He's as well as being a good footballer Mancunian United fan he he was he is no nonsense. I travelled through an airport with him two years ago, uh, and with the other class of '92 lads. And as we went through the X-ray machines, uh, a, a scouser I knew by his accent said, "Look at them, the shit of '92." And Nicky's look towards that lad. If we wouldn't have been in that environment, I really wouldn't have liked to have been that scouser lad, thinking he was being uh, cheeky within an airport. He's a hard lad. He is no nonsense. He speaks his mind. He does that at work. He he loves his job. At Manchester United. It's not an easy job. United's youth system was under under resourced for many years. It got left behind by Manchester City and Chelsea. But it's in a better place now. I think they've got one of the best group of youngsters coming through the ranks for some time. It's not class of ninety two level, but as we've seen this season with people like Brandon Williams, who grew up very close to, to Nicky in North Manchester and, and Mason Greenwood, uh, there's good players coming through and there are more as well. And Nicky's a good a good guide for them. He's a good foil for them. He, he's he'll be good at keeping their feet on the ground because Nicky's been close mates with superstars like David Beckham. He knows what it's about. So the idea of anybody getting carried away when Nicky's around um, definitely wouldn't take off. I think it's great that he's he's working at Manchester United, but I think he's got a tough job. Yes, absolutely. Anyone who hasn't seen the Class of 92 documentary, I recommend checking that one out, especially for how Nicky interacts with the other group. I found it really fascinating how he was sort of the older brother to the Nevilles and David Beckham 
Is that correct? Mm. Sort of good estimation. Mm. Estimation. Yeah, good, good shout, Carl. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really good documentary, actually, isn't it? And you can see the rapport that they've got between them all, the jokes that they're still there. Um, and I think that's what he's trying to cultivate at, at Carrington now. Obviously, you know, it's about technique, it's about ability, but also it's about that team spirit. And he was talking to me a little bit about how um, the idea really is ultimately to have a, a sort of good crop, you know, coming through, clearly not in the, in the levels that they had with Class of 92. It was a, a rare year that, um, but, you know, ideally having one, two, three over this you know course of three or four years maybe and then adding to that with the world-class players like your Bruno Fernandes is who all United fans will hope you know is, is value for money at 50 odd million um, so he, he gets that clearly you can't have everybody from Manchester the you know the inner city areas that he came from and Brandon Williams comes from but it, clearly it'd be a great thing to have you know one or two players of that ilk you know on a regular consistent basis throughout the team. Let's talk about Manchester United of the present and the transfer window has just closed. Laurie, help me make sense of this. Igalo came on a six-month loan. What has occurred? Well, um, ultimately, United were desperate for a striker. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned in my piece um, that I wrote about the 113 names that were linked, um, that there was a whiff of desperation, which maybe is, is a harsh sort of uh, judge of, of the way that the window looked at the end there. But uh, certainly... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer absolutely was was crying out for a, a centre forward um, just to supplement really Anthony Martial, Mason Greenwood, with Marcus Rashford being out for a number of weeks. It, it, you know they 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 desperately needed somebody in there who knew the league, um, could score goals, offered a physical presence, offered something different. You know, running in behind, hold up play. Um, so listen, clearly Odi Nagalo is not a, a guy that is going to you know, reshape Manchester United uh, long term. Uh, it's very much a short term fix. Um, it's, a, it's a loan, obviously. So you, you think the cost, I think, I think I'm right in saying that the cost is about £4 million all told wages and, and loan fee to Shanghai Shenhua. So, um, you know, clearly it's not a massive outlay for a, for a club of, of Manchester United scale. You've got a guy there, though, whose who's goal record um, when he was in the Premier League is, is pretty comparable to, to the likes of, of even, you know, Anthony Marshall and, and Marcus Rashford. Um, clearly, he had a dip uh, after that season that he first went into the Premier League and I think he scored one in, in 18 um, apparently um, his father died around that time so there was a sort of mitigate, mitigating circumstances obviously that, that had a, a significant effect on his on his appearance on the pitch um, uh, and obviously he's been playing his football in China you know the standard is it is it you know good enough uh, is he going to be match sharp we, we don't know he's obviously um, not yet uh, well, he's not needed to have a medical because it's a loan so um, but all the medical reports were sent over from China and, and United were, were satisfied with them. Um, it, it, it changed, I think, over time who United went for. They clearly uh, had a lot of inquiries out there just to sort of see who they could potentially get. And then they made their, their, their call um, that I think Igalo actually did come to the fore in the thinking um, effectively after the Manchester City game. I think that the Manchester City game where United won 1-0, but... Um, you know, had Mason Greenwood was was pretty um, ineffectual, unfortunately, and, and, Mace, and Anthony Marshall again um, left a lot to be desired. So I think Solskjaer made was determined after that game that he wanted to get a striker in. So they had 48 hours effectively. Um, Igala was actually primary among those thoughts at that particular moment, but then um, his flight that he was going to get from China um, was grounded. I think it was scheduled for 8 p.m. on Thursday evening to, to leave China was grounded. So that kind of then 
you know, put that under incredible doubt that he would even get out of the country. You know, can you sign a player that can't get out of the country? So that's when Josh King came into the reckoning. United were insistent that they always preferred a loan for that. Uh, transfer uh, but clearly Bournemouth um, you know we're looking at it and thinking well actually we're not going to let him out on loan we want a, an obligation to buy at least or we want a transfer bid up, up front so United did make two bids 20, 20 million 25 million uh, and then um, decided that they, they couldn't you know justify going above 25 million which you know I can understand clearly Josh King has got a hamstring injury that um, it would have been difficult for him to get up to speed straight away as well so you've got to factor all that in and in the end they've got Igarlo who um, clearly isn't going to um you know set the um the fans you know a light you know they're not going to be singing his name from the rooftops particularly but i think he can come in and, and do a, a decent job it's not a long-term thing it's a it's a fairly low cost um endeavor so um i, I can ultimately see where they've come from but it, it doesn't look great does it when i think you know that you went for erling harland at the start of the window you end it with odi nagalo i think there needed to be more consideration for a backup um once the harland uh, thing went away and obviously went to dortmund I, it, it didn't look great, you know, coming to the end of the window and, and sort of having these frantic calls and seeing who could be available. So, um, yeah, but we'll, we'll see um, how quickly he can get up to match sharpness. Andy, let's get your thoughts on this. Going from a potential future Ballon d'Or winner in Haaland to a gentleman who hasn't scored in over his last one in 18 in his last Premier League games in Agarlo. Agarlo has just announced his squad number at time of recording. He will be wearing number 25. How are you thinking about all this, Andy? Needs must. The injury to Marcus Rashford changed <laughs> changed everything. Uh, it was very clear in the Manchester derby last week that while Mason Greenwood is prodigiously talented, he was pretty ineffective in that match. Not that he had the best supply. And as Laurie said, United knew the need to bring a striker in because this season is, is still alive. And while it's faded badly in January, United is still in the FA Cup, the Europa League, I think is, is a big deal. And to go into those games with an out-of-form Anthony Marshall up the uh, up top is a big risk. So I welcome the bringing somebody in. I think, as Chelsea found out, it's difficult to bring a striker in uh, in January. The idea about him coming from China doesn't concern me that much because I saw Paulinho come from China last year and to play for Barcelona, and he was one of the best players of, of, for the team last year. And I saw Barca fans when that first happened going, what, when, why are we signing players from China? This is disgraceful. And after eight games, they, they changed the tune completely. I don't know a lot about Igalo. I can remember seeing him for Granada and a bit for Watford because he, he'd done well there. But there are a lot of former Man United people at Watford. Tom Cleverley's there, Danny Welbeck's there, the chief executive. He's a Manchester lad who's a United fan. And... Just as the signing was going through, uh, or the confirmation at half ten on Friday night, I started getting messages from people who know a lot more about Igalo than I do, and they range from he's got the best song we've ever had at Watford, uh, to one lad who said United are getting a great striker and a class bloke off the field. He's one of the best finishers Watford have ever had, certainly in the Premier League. The fact is, he banged in goals at the Afghan. And Barcelona reportedly wanted him this time last year, speaks of his record. And I, I tweeted that. Now, if that person would have said, he's dreadful, what are you doing? I'd given that a trusted judgment, I would have probably tweeted that as well. Barca did look at him last year and they went for Prince Botang instead. And they were in a similar situation where they needed a striker to come in because of, because of injuries. So I welcome it. I think you get that new signing buzz anyway, which people like. I hope he does well. He's a United fan, which I thought was... That's not going to do him any harm, is it? Because if he'd 
been pictured wearing a Liverpool shirt, then that wouldn't have been ideal for him before coming to United. And there's a nice story, you know, he's playing in China and if he can come and do well, then it might give the season the, the lift that it, it needs. He's clearly a very good finisher. I'm also told that his, his agent and his wife have, have long lived in the Manchester area as well. Another agent told me that. He said they're decent people. Again, if he would have told me that they were shouldn't be trusted um, and shouldn't go near them with a barge pole, I would have probably put that out as well. So, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, optimistic um, he needs to get, get his chances. But things can go very, very wrong when you're a striker at Manchester United. Diego Forlan came with a great record and he really struggled to find his feet. Igolo has to find them straight away. He just has to. He's only here until the end of the season. But he doesn't strike me as someone who's short of confidence, his experience. So, yeah, go for it. I wish him all the best. Uh, hopefully he can see more of those fantastic chops he used to do. When was at Watford, I think, if he does a couple of those at Old Trafford, he'll bring everyone on side. Laurie, I want to talk to you a little bit about a piece another athletic writer wrote. Adam Crafton wrote that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't even speak to Agala before he made the signing. We've spoken about this before on this podcast. There is no director of football at Manchester United now. Who is making the decisions to sign football players right now? It was definitely Solskjaer's decision. Um, I think he was aware of all the different options. Um, he clearly made his own inquiries. He's got his own people that he can speak to. Um, and so I suppose whilst Solskjaer might not have spoke, spoken to Igalo, I think he he spoke to enough people that would have done. I mean, as Andy just said there, you know, you, you, you make soundings and you get a vibe off of somebody, what, what, you know, as, as to what they're like. I guess in the in the rush to to, to complete the deal. Um, get all the contracts signed and all the various different uh, stipulations that he must have had to go through coming from where he's come from. Um, you know, speaking to Solskjaer probably wasn't a primary uh, requirement. Um, he'd obviously made his decision based on what he'd heard from other people and what he's seen and, and, and reports and, and the such. So um, I don't know if you have to put too much stock in that. He clearly is a, a really good guy at Igalo. You, you have to look at his backstory and um, the hardship that he's come from in Nigeria. And it's quite an endearing story actually as well that, that you know, he clearly was a United fan. You know, he spoke a couple of years ago on, on an interview and, and was uh, wide-eyed at the prospect of potentially one day, you know, playing for United and I think that does have a certain value so I think Solskjaer probably looked at all that and thought you know I don't necessarily need to speak to him directly but I'm sure you know he'll, he'll get up to speed pretty quickly and, and um, maybe they've even spoken now so um, and, and there is a you know a, an element that you know as we've touched upon before Barcelona were interested last summer and Spurs made a late bid for him as well um, but the Manchester United pull was was kind of compelling for Igalo so yeah I'm kind of more optimistic than, than not on, on the signing you know it definitely needed somebody to come in and it does give a, a bit of a lift um, uh, but clearly I think ultimately you know United's transfer dealings um, should have a more considered approach to them I accept that perhaps these circumstances were, were particular in, in Marcus Rashford getting injured but then again um, you know Romelu Lukaku was sold last summer and it was clear from sort of last March that he, he wanted to go and was probably going to go um, similar kind of situation with Alexis Sanchez so it's not like this 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 event this circumstances has totally snuck up on United you know that you can't sort of level everything at the Marcus Rashford injury um, already United needed a strike you know long before he got injured so um, I think I'd really love to see the summer window conducted with more sort of pre-planning and early signings rather than you know the length of time that it's taken to, to do a few of these latest ones Almost sounds as if Manchester United should have a director of football but we'll do that another week uh, I want to talk about one other transfer dealing uh, we unfortunately well unfortunately 
depending on your perspective, Marcus Rojo has left Manchester United on loan. He most likely won't be back. How do you think we'll remember him, Andy? You know Rojo pretty well. I don't think Abubas is a great. Uh, he had a couple of decent seasons, but he, the number of games he played over I think four or five years that he was at the club uh, doesn't justify the money that he was spent. Um, he was very determined in. He was very aggressive in training. He's, he's a popular lad. Um, I don't think he would ever be on university challenge, but that didn't mean that he could play decent football. Um, I think he's got a, a good heart. He liked Manchester. His family liked Manchester. They certainly learned English better than he did. He, he just wanted to play football. And Estudian says, who are from La Plata, which is the city where he's from, they offered him that. They've come to an agreement with Manchester United where he can still be paid and be paid very, very well. Um, he can go back there. He can be with his family. He's from a, a very um, tough barrio close to the ground. I've been there. I've met all his family. Been for a drive out with his brother. And uh, halfway through, he suggested that maybe he didn't have the correct driving license which was evident as we spun down spun down the, the motorway and his mum's a, a lovely lady really proud of, of what son's done he's played in Russia he just he had bad luck with injuries uh, there was a bit of mentalness about him in his aggression which which I quite liked and he, he's he's more respected in Argentina I think than in Manchester he scored that brilliant goal against Nigeria in Russia last year, which was on the front page of a couple of the broadsheets in England, hugging with, with Lionel Messi. And I'm, I'm not sure that he'll be coming back to Manchester, uh, although his contract would suggest that, that, that he was. He just wanted to play first-team football. He can do that. He can work under Juan Sebastian Veron, um, another former United player who didn't quite work out when he was in England, despite being massively gifted. And Veron is the, the chairman of the Estudiantes, the 8th or 9th in the Argentinian League. And they're a big club. They're back in their, their home new stadium. It's a great place for Marcos to go. And I've, I've been there and I've, I've spoke to the people about him after City walked around in Man United shirts because he's, he's uh, bought them for him. And he, he there's, there's um, murals with Rojo wearing an Argentina shirt on the on the walls and been to his uncle's house and seen the, where all his family are from. And it is a really, really tough area. And he's done well to come out of that environment and he's not forgotten it. He paid for the sprinkler system at his local football club. He's a really popular figure there. So good luck to him. Um, just a shame it, it, it could have been better with his time in, in Manchester. But as a person, I really liked him. Let's hope he can learn how to uh, make some toast better in his home country. Uh, but for next next up, let's have a look at Wolverhampton Wanderers because I don't know what week it is, but apparently Manchester United have played them yet again. Uh, a start for Bruno Fernandes. You wrote a piece on his debut, Andy. What did you make of that? Uh, yeah, Wolves, as you say, I think it's the sixth time against in 10 months that Manchester United have, have played them. Uh, I, I thought he did okay. Yeah. Wolves and United are very equally matched. Um, in the seven games since Wolves came up, there's never been more than one goal deciding the matches and you saw that they've got very talented players and it was a good start for Bruno in terms of the reception he got, the whole of the stadium singing Bruno, Bruno and he started with real intent, he was looking for spaces to get the ball, uh, he looked very comfortable on the ball, he looked to shoot all the time and in the first half he was about the only Manchester United player doing that, he came deep, he took three kicks, uh, I liked his initial reaction which was to always move the ball forward and I liked what I was watching it's not 
it wasn't a fairy tale debut. There was no goals. There was no. I know Delot missed with a header in the ninety third or ninety fourth minute, and Delot is is the guy who's really helped Bruno settle in. Um, he, he knew him before he joined Manchester United. Obviously, they're both Portuguese, and there's a strong Portuguese speaking presence in the United dressing room. So I think he'll settle okay. Um, I thought it did all right. I mean, I don't think you can judge anyone after one game. Maybe we did that with Cristiano Ronaldo, another former sporting player, when he had that sensational debut back in 2003. But I think I'm, I'm glad we signed him. I think he'll be a good player. Hopefully, he'll be a very, very good player for Manchester United. And we've just got to be judging him after after six matches. Although, you know, Fred, the last expensive midfielder who came in, he took well over a year before things started to, to happen for him. I think it'll be different with Bruno. He's been club captain of a big club in sporting. He's in form this year. He scored 15 goals, 33 last year. I just love the way that he was shooting from distance. Once he finds his range, I think he could be a, a brilliant asset for Manchester United. Laurie, what did you make of Bruno and the performance? Manchester United, once again, struggling to beat Wolverhampton Wanderers. What is it that Nuno has over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and this particular vintage of Man United? Um, well, he's a difficult, they're a difficult team to break down, aren't they, Wills? I know Solskjaer got pilloried for suggesting that when, you know, uh, was it 12 out of the last 14 teams that had managed to score against them. But they are a predominantly defensive side with, a, you know, a good counter-attacking uh, ability. Uh, I've watched quite a lot of them over the, the last few years and, the system is a sort of low press and, and side to side movement, so it, it is difficult to break down. But clearly, United ideally would be doing it on a more regular basis. I think if Marcus Rashford had been playing, you know, it might have been a different story. Um, I did like the way that Bruno Fernandez um, straight away, as, as Andy said, you know, was was into the game, talking to his um, teammates, sort of instructing them where to go. Clearly, got that about him, um, that desire to win and, and and that leadership quality, which was great to see from the get go. Clearly, a few of his passes. Uh, went astray. Um, he, he was trying things though around the box, and, and that's where they were, they were, you know, uh, where, where Wolves were intercepting. So it's difficult to thread those kind of passes. And at least he was trying and creating that sort of sense of pressure at, at times. Um, uh, yeah, again, like Andy, I like his suit shooting from range. He clearly went close, you know, a couple of times. You know, from his scoring record in, in Sporting, that, that you know he can strike them. And once they do start going, and I think you know he could be a good goal threat from that position. So. Um, positive um you know cautiously positive uh, performance from him um hopefully you know can continue and, and get his feet firmly planted and you were at old trafford on saturday tell me about the proposed walkout in protest of the glazers was it noticeable when it happened not really it was set to happen in the 68th minute and it was a bit of a damp squib i think the idea of 10 20,000 empty seats would have been visually um, picked up on it would have been back page news the descent of Manchester United fans there clear it just didn't happen there were I was told 40 to 60 fans left and went towards the Munich clock I knew three or four of them they're good mates of mine they're proper Manchester United fans they feel very very strongly about the Glazers and they left the ground to to walk around there to protest um, a couple were very disappointed that more didn't do it and if you're getting them sort of numbers, it's, it's it's just very, very difficult at the moment because you've got an extremely divided fan base at Manchester United. It's very fractious. A lot of United fans, they don't actually like each other. And when protest ideas get mentioned, what happens? 
you get like a thousand different opinions and high levels of intolerance. No, this is the way of doing it. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd do this, I'd do that. And I get hundreds of suggestions put towards me. And it's like, oh, I don't like him who's doing it. I can't trust him. Don't do that. It's horrible. The, the fan base has been completely uh, divided. There are other factors here. Um, fans who go to the games do not like being told what to do by fans who don't go to the games. They just don't. But this clearly came from what's been happening at the matches because uh, in the last two or three matches, there has been strong anti-Woodward and anti-Glazer chanting. And this was probably an extension of that, even though it came about on the internet. But what does that mean it came about on the internet? Some people, who, who, which people? The the Several newspapers ran with the idea and the story that a protest was going to be planned, but by who? And these are the questions which United fans were asking. Calling a boycott is very, very complicated. Um, it's been muted before when there was much stronger feeling uh, against the Glazers around the time of the takeover. There is a lot of people who are against the idea of leaving the game early. They're just it. There's a lot of people who are loyal to the establishment of the club. There are people who... Don't go on social media. Twitter can be really misleading if you try to gauge the strength of Manchester United supporters. And you can draw lots of parallels with, with politics as well. And it, it is an unholy mess. Um, there's disquiet among fans. There's anger among fans. There's passion among fans. The mood changes dependent upon the result among the supporters as well. And the minute anybody raises their head above the parapet to lead any type of protest, they will be shot down straight away. And I've done a lot of time in uh, fan politics in the 90s and the noughties, and you get shot down straight away. Well, I don't like him. Don't, I don't know what he's thinking. And it is very, very difficult for somebody um, to, to do it. You've got the must, which is the Manchester United Supporters Trust. They were gauging opinions among United fans. And again, they received a whole variety of opinions of the best way to get the Glazers out. But then what? What is the plan B? There are no red knights waiting in the sidelines to take over. Uh, I did a big bit in United We Stand and I spoke to people very high up in the city of London who've got a far better understanding of numbers than, than I have and, and possible takeovers. And there's no real alternative to protest for um, beyond the idea of getting the owners out who are, who are not popular. And in United We Stand, I don't think there's been any pro-Glazer sentiment. But we had a guy uh, last week who said, well, and he was a businessman, he said, that, that debt's manageable. Uh, they're not as bad as you think they are. I've been going to games for 50 years. Being fifth in the league is not an absolute disaster. And God, people just slaughtered him. So fans are very, very divided. They're entrenched. There's very little room for nuance, unfortunately. It's black or white, with them or against them. And when the protest was called for on Saturday, well, you saw the reaction. The stadium stayed completely full, which was very frustrating to people who hoped that there would be a reaction. Lloyd, what are you making of this winter break right now? Is this a good time for Manchester United and the fan base? A time to relax, rest up the legs, formulate a brand new plan for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think it's it's got a, a pretty good time for United, really. Clearly, they've got a few injuries out, so the you know, sort of 10, 14 days, break will at least give a bit more room for 
uh, recovery. Um, Agarlo, obviously, as we've mentioned, you know, at least that gives him opportunity to um, sort of meet his teammates and, and get perhaps a bit more into the flow without it being straight bang into uh, competitive action. Um, you know, we've seen a few of the lads already over in Dubai, bit of warm weather training, bit of relaxation. Um, then United are going to go to somewhere in Spain. Uh, over the weekend, um, you know, ahead of um, the Chelsea game, uh, Monday night football, um, when they come back on the 17th. So um, there's quite a big gap, really. And, and I think that's probably a good thing. You know, Solskjaer can um, sort of rally the troops a little bit more, um, you know, as you say, give, give a bit more time to those that are injured and, and you know, hopefully just get a bit that, get, get the morale boosted a little bit more. Speaking of injured players, is there any chance Paul Pogba, Scott McTominay and Bruno Fernandes could be the midfield engine? for United's game on the 17th against Chelsea? Um, ultimately, it's quite a, and that's quite an appealing sort of midfield trio, isn't it? Um, I, I'm told that Pogba's obviously uh, back um, at Carrington, but he, he's, he's not you know, anywhere near sort of a return. McTominay, he's had his brace off, but likewise, um, we're looking longer term for, for that one. Um, the sort of March uh, international break was um, sort of slated as, as perhaps a, a little bit too soon for him. So, um, yeah, we're, we're still a few weeks away, I think, on both of those guys um, yeah it's a difficult one to, to gauge but clearly um, you know United are working hard to get them back fit fingers crossed Andy I want to talk to you a little bit about Manchester United quote unquote winter breaks of yesteryear we obviously talk about warm weather training and going on golf um, what were United players of the past doing Drinking heavily. That's what they were doing. <laughs> they were having 10, 11, 12 pints and they were going to mad places which they probably wouldn't go to now. They once went to Libya mid-season. United played a game in Swaziland once and didn't have enough players. So Tottenham Hotspur players supplemented them and they, they played as a combined Tottenham and Manchester United team. Another time they went to um, to Israel and they knew that... Um, that one of the the kit men, Norman Davis, um, didn't like any. He, he liked his room to be clean, so they dragged the big dead turtle off the beach and put it in his bath. Um, Mick Brown was another one who he, he was um, one of the coaches. He he was a physio actually, and he had a lot of pranks done on him. They played in the Caribbean and they put a dead peacock underneath his bed uh, so stuff now which would be front page news which the players just wouldn't do because they're far too sensible now um, I'm sure when you go to Spain they'll go out and have a have a nice drink and overlook the harbour where they're staying but it will be nothing like what it used to be where the manager would say to them uh, in Kobe, Japan for example go and have a few drinks and at 4 o'clock in the morning they'd be having arm wrestling competitions with American Marines and Clayton Blackmore would be getting through to the final and holding his own against these guys twice the size of him so I've done books on the, on some of the things that they got up to I think that if I, I wrote a book about what they do in the, the 2020s it'd be absolutely nothing like what it was like in, in the 70s and 80s but none of them lads regret it they all had a great time they just weren't winning any league titles at the same time although they would say that Liverpool were even bigger drinkers than Manchester United <laughs> well to anyone listening I highly recommend checking out some of Andy's books on Manchester United on tour what books can we find for you? I did um, the first one I did was United in the 80s it was called Glory um, it was called We're the Famous Man United and some of the stories in there I couldn't even tell you now because you would just be absolutely wincing at some of the stuff that the players told me uh, the 70s ones some of them were soaked in alcohol as well and uh, and even the 90s ones and we spoke about Nicky Butt I remember 
going up to see Nicky in Newcastle in 2008 to do that chapter. And he was really good. He, he At the time, he was the only lad that who was still playing because he prolonged his career and then he went on to Hong Kong and I think the players just they just told me everything that had gone on and it'd be quite difficult to write them now because they'd probably be twisted and blown out of context and you'd see headlines where I'm sure the players would be thinking why did he even bother saying that story but a lot of fun doing them when I did do them and I promise I'll do a North one and a one for the last decade uh, before I, I retire. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. I eagerly look forward to your next books. And Laurie, I look forward to talking to you again sometime next week. That's all for now on Talk of the Devils. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic to hear this show and many, many more. You can sign up right now to get a 40% discount now using the promo code UnitedPod, and our show will be available free via the usual podcast providers. That's goodbye from me, goodbye from Laurie. Bye-bye. And a uh, goodbye from Andy. Cheers. Take care now. And goodbye from me, listener. Here's to another week of hopefully better days at Manchester United. Goodbye for now.